This is Deep Dive. I'm Su Yi. On March 20, 2003, U.S. and coalition forces began the invasion of Iraq. In the years that followed, the country plunged into chaos. There was a huge battle. Other vehicles nearby were also destroyed. The blast wave was like a tornado that bore down upon the coffee shop. I couldn't see my brothers. That was the darkest day of my life. Disaster can shatter lives, and suffering can bring despair. It took me a year and a half to get over. Twenty years later, do the Iraqi people have the democracy, freedom, and economic opportunities the U.S. promised them? I spoke with two reporters to find out what the Iraqi people have experienced in the past 20 years and how life is like for them in present-day Iraq. This episode is brought to you on Monday, March 20th. First, I'm joined by correspondent Owen Hardaway, who's now in Iraq. For me, Iraq has been off the top agenda of international media for quite some time, except during the political chaos in 2021 and 2022. So first, could you describe what life is like in Iraq? Is the country still like a war zone? I mean, it's a mixed picture, to be honest. Back in the past, it was much more um, violent and certain areas were completely no-go areas. This was particularly when there was a major sectarian breakdown in the country. Um, I can specifically speak of, uh, you know, the rise of the so-called Islamic State and their their capture of Mosul and vast ways of the north. So in that sort of sense, it was a lot more dangerous. Also, security checkpoints were less uh, less less solid in that point at that point in time. As for now, it's it's somewhat stabilized, but the endemic problems that really gave rise to sort of the sectarian conflict and the civil war that preceded the U.S. invasion, those problems have not gone away. And there's a real fear, I think, amongst particularly the Shia bloc um, of this potentially um, escalating again. Iraq is awash with guns. Uh, it was awash with guns prior. And, um, you know, sectarian uh, cleavages and, and militia cleavages can easily flare up and the political system, you know, is, is still very fractious and, and unstable. And do normal people there still feel they're at war or life is back to normal already? I think in general in Baghdad, there's a feeling that, um, you know, people, there is a certain normality. But the, the real problem, I think, is the alienation of the, the lack of economic um, economic opportunities um, and the fact of the, the paralysis politically. And how much can you see the presence of foreign troops or foreign security personnel on the ground? Uh, the foreign troops, I mean, there are there are various bases. The Americans have one in uh, in the north, um, in the Kurdish region. Uh, they had that another one in the south. I think it's still operational, and they they generally focus very much on the sort of narrower now counterterrorism uh, operations, uh, particularly against ISIL cells and and the, and those uh, Al Qaeda uh, affiliates that really operate now. Well, have, operate in certain areas of the lawless Anbar province and Nineveh and th- those sort of areas. They escalated very much more when when the the sectarian and the civil war really really fully escalated. Um, but you know now they're very much more focused on counterterrorism operations. That's not to say that they that they couldn't escalate up again. Um, you know the situation, like I said, is very tense um, still still around, and and the the political problems that gave rise to the sectarian groups that caused the civil war. Prior have not gone away. You traveled to the country several times over years. What changes did you witness? Are things getting better or getting worse? 
I think obviously during the the peak of uh, I, I was there in 2015 and during the peak of the the so-called Islamic State, that was a particularly bad bad situation. Um, you know the 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 real um, sectarian problems were really very up. Um, ISIS controlled a significant swathes of the com- uh, country, including Mosul and uh, vast areas of the of the north. Um, so the situation there was very bad. Ironically, though, the areas that like were not controlled, um, they were they were remarkably stabilized because. The, the influx of a lot of a lot of a lot of money, American money, and also the militias that were it, it was north the Peshmerga or the Hashtashabi in the south were being very much armed, and the focus was to really uh, rid rid the country of uh, of Al Qaeda. And I'm curious how do local people there today see the U.S. invasion 20 years ago? It's it's a very mixed picture. I mean, it's it, the younger generation. I think they they didn't have experience of Saddam, and they just see the the corruption, and they were very much allied with the Tushreen. So they really don't have、um, a deep opinion. I think、um, it's the older generation who probably view it a little bit more nostalgically.、Um, again, it really does depend on the groups.、Um, you know, if if the Shia groups, it's 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 still very hostile to Saddam. Um, the Sunni groups who really lost their power base、um, with the fall,、um, uh, you know, obviously have a have a slightly more optimistic or, or slightly more rose tinted opinion of of the Baathist regime.、Uh, the Christians is is a mixed mixed group.、Um, you know, I think the the main takeaway though that 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 what really happened in two thousand and three is is the sectarianization of the of the political system because although Saddam was from so Crete and the, and 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 the Sunni and、uh, Sunni areas, I mean, I spoke. To an academic earlier and about this, and the sectarianisation of the confessional system, which really destabilised after, didn't exist prior, and and that is one of the the, the Pandora's box that really the Americans and the coalition、um, really opened up when they when they chose to invade in、um, in March twenty twenty three. You mentioned the、uh, deep historical root of the country, and you covered the damage on cultural heritage in Iraq. Why are you interested in that particular topic? I think、um, it's it's such a rich history.、Um, I'm a little bit of a history buff as well.、Um, I do I do like to read about it,、um, but you know it dates back to the Sumerians.、Um, you know civilization is it's really the cradle of civilization, and、um, you know it's got such a rich history and a rich history to really to really I think often、um, tell the wider world.、Um, you know the media. Environment that that Iraq gets is obviously of conflict and 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 the and the bomb explosions and the destruction very much dominate the headlines, but there is also a, a you know a rich history and a rich、um, archaeological history and a rich cultural history、um, you know and I think there are some lessons culturally particularly、uh, the West and and the US. In particular, should have learnt、um, when they when they invaded. I think I think there were a lot of cultural、um, insults and a lot of la- lack of cultural respect that some of it that really caused a lot of animosity as well. And I think you know respect of that and appreciation would have actually you know gone a long way. And I think、um, it's it's a fascinating country, and, and I've been coming coming back here for you know almost almost a decade.、Hmm. And how much damage did a war inflict on those、uh, human treasures? It's a mixed picture.、Um, in terms of、uh, the north, uh, Nimrud, uh, that was very decimated.、Uh, that was、uh, that was taken over by the the, the so-called Islamic State, Al Qaeda.、Uh, Hatra, another another archaeological ruin, was very much destroyed. A lot also of the ancient churches.、Um, you may have remembered,、uh, like、uh, last last year or the year before, the Pope came visited. A lot of the Assyrian churches, particularly the north, were very much destroyed by、uh, the so-called Islamic State. Additionally, like. 
the, the dire economic uh, situation with a lot of people, there was a lot of pillaging and a lot of the artifacts were, were have been taken and, and sold abroad, um, traffic particularly via Syria, but also also Iran. Um, so that's really, really kind of um, taken away a lot, of the, a lot of the heritage. Some of the sites, um, particularly in the south, were a little bit more protected. Uh, they, they thankfully, um, they had some more security, but any areas where there was particular um, uh, militia fighting and, and, and um, areas of that, there was significant damage to the the heritage of heritage of the country. Hmm. Are there any plans uh, to repair the damaged ones where they are like uh, damaged forever? There is. I think the extensive damage of Nimrod is in the north is is quite quite a lot. It's quite a big task to do. Um, there's been calls. Um, I spoke to a, a gentleman earlier, an archaeological um, expert, and he he's partnering with some of the German universities to 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 take care of some of the stuff out because they've recently discovered some more ruins in um in the north. Around around Mosul and Nineveh area, um, Hatra is another example in the north where there has been some reconstruction that tourists are. But you know, if you don't really solve the endemic corruption and the the the, the, the political system, it doesn't bode well. To be honest, um, you know, there is protection, and often it's done by in partnership with um, with some local international charities and international NGOs and some international partners. But it's a very ad hoc basis and not done systematically through the um, Ministry of Culture and Ministry. Of archaeology, hmm. and also understand the identification and repatriation of former terrorist members is a topic for the United Nations. So, how is that process going? It's a mixed picture. Um, you know, if you're talking about a lot of a lot of uh, the recruitment drive, particularly when the Islamic State, which I can speak about when um, covered that particular um, conflict, um, a lot of the Westerners um, uh, and you know they they came and fought. Um, they had a very extensive online branding campaign. A lot of them are either in Syria, it's in, it's in prison in Syria or or in Iraq. Uh, there's some uh, prisons which which hold them. I think the Russians have repatriated some. The Europeans, I think, have been a little bit less ad hoc. Um, they really are in limbo land, um, uh, to be honest, and there is no real political uh, solution. A lot of um, the British government, for instance, often revokes their citizenship, which although sounds very good in the headlines, it really doesn't solve the problem because, you know, then they're in limbo and, um, you know, what do you do with these people who are often extremely hard and radicalized? So the political system um, and the prison system as well is, is, has a certain element of corruption, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's not an ideal situation to really solve what needs really a systematic approach um, and also cooperation with the international community. And lastly, uh, let's talk about the current administration. How much control does the government, the national government, have on national issues? I think in terms of certain sectors, uh, there is control. Um, and they're very key sectors, the key sectors of um, the, the oil sector, the gas sector, there is. Um, but the division really does depend on, on what sector it's involved, um, you know, what sort of budget is, um, and also the, how, how, it's, how it's shaped up. The oil and oil and the economic resources, the, the oil and gas resources are really, really kind of key, and they, 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 that's really where they're, where they're fundamental. I think they have a lot of, a lot of control, um, you know, particularly in the fields in the north and the south. Um, if you go into other sectors, um, you know, education is one of the worst in the region. Um, the healthcare system, although having a healthy budget, a lot of the money is is, is siphoned away. Um, so it really does depend on the se- sectors. Hmm. And what do you think is still needed from other countries to help Iraq reconstruct? I think the the whole system needs to change. In in reality, the Tashreen movement, the October protest movement, which was non-sectarian. 
um, you know, had a lot of the pledges that that are needed to to reformulate the system. Um, but without without the outside pressure, um, you know, and the outside and to be honest, the expertise of of outside pressure with with people Arabists who really know what it, what is going on and what when one person shifts party and shifts plane shifts plane and how the political machinations change within the parliament. Without that kind of regular monitoring, you're very likely to get the the get a flare up in 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 some form of and some form of conflict again, um, you know, and that quite frankly, um, you know, the monitoring. The, the monitoring that that takes, um, you know, it, it is is not is not forthcoming uh, amongst the international community, and the amount of investment needed to do that is a significant significant amount. The West wants simple solutions and um, uh, and simple and short term solutions, and um, quite frankly, there aren't. That was Owen Holdaway. I also spoke with CGTN reporter Zhou Jiaxin, who gave me a review of all the key turning points in Iraq. In the past twenty years, so、uh, Justin, talking about、uh, the events that led to the toppling of Saddam Hussein twenty years ago, we know the rhetoric to launch the Iraq War is always questionable, but it did not stop the Bush administration and its allies from doing that. I still remember a former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell and his little bottle of、uh, white powder inside the hall of the U.N. Security Council. So I'm curious, what other countries had to say about that apparently questionable excuse? I also like to start with China.、Uh, when the Foreign Ministry spokesperson Huang Chunying rebuked the U.S. baseless accusation of genocide in Xinjiang、uh, during the press conference, she played a video in which Mr. Lawrence Wilkinson. The former chief to、uh, Colin Powell undisguisedly said, "One of the reasons the U.S. invaded Afghanistan was to foment unrest in the region, so that terrorist forces could join with those Uyghurs in pushing the Han Chinese and destabilize the neighboring China." What the spokesperson pointed out here is that the U.S. would desperately make、uh, favorable excuses or even lies to legitimize its consequential military operations and justify even wars to achieve its strategic goals. The target in the Iraq War, of course, obviously Saddam Hussein. UN inspectors has actually they didn't find any chemical or biological weapons by the time they left the country. Neither did the U.S. government. Now, if Hussein had any WMDs program at the present time, according to、uh, Mr. Wilkinson, who said the invasion was, I quote, the greatest strategic disaster created by America in the 21st century, and that's why. Some governments believe the U.S. campaign for Iraq War serves as a cautionary tale. The occupation we know led to serious violence in the first few years that followed.、Uh, tell us some of the noticeable periods that witnessed heavy casualties. Yeah,、uh, tragically, there are almost too many victims to tally from this criminal act of America's making, and every figure related to the war is disputed. For one thing, the U.S.-led invasion only destroyed Iraq, but it displaced some nine million people.、Um, the U.N.-backed Iraq Family Health Survey estimated at least 150,000 violent deaths、uh, since the start of the war to、uh, June 2006, and the Scientific Medical Journal's Lancet expanded to some 600,000 out of 650,000 excess deaths in the same period. The bloodiest period for civilian deaths was. The month of invasion, March 2003, 20 years ago, in which close to 4,000 ordinary Iraqis died, followed with another 3,000 more in April. Then it comes to the Iraqi civil war. Many between、uh, the Iraqi government, alongside with 
uh, America, American-led coalition forces and various sectarian armed groups. The most violent 12-month period extended from July 2006 to June 2007, with about 30,000 deaths recorded. U.S. forces got out in 2011. Uh, remind us who made that decision and why did they decide to pull out from the country at that particular time? In 2008, the Bush administration agreed to remove all combat troops from Iraq. By the end of uh, 2011, in a security deal with Iraqi leaders, then Barack Obama took over in 2009. Uh, both sides wanted a new arrangement concerning the security situation. Though the negotiations outcome didn't suit uh, Iraqi leaders regarding U.S. military support, Obama announced in October 2011 that um, the remaining U.S. troops would return by year's end. Today, I can report that as promised, the rest of our troops in Iraq will come home by the end of the year. After nearly nine years, America's war in Iraq will be over. And the final troops left on December 18, 2011, ending a nearly nine-year war. Since the 2008 campaign, Obama made it clear about the timeline while disregarding the conditions on the ground, the consequences. In the end, he said the decision to withdraw U.S. troops from Iraq was not his. In truth, there was no uh, political will in the White House to maintain a U.S. military presence. In order to help complete the country's democratic transition, the Obama administration, however, helped broker a power-sharing deal that essentially reinstated Mr. Nouri al-Maliki as prime minister after his electoral defeat. In this move, some analysts say, undermined the fragile foundation of Iraqi democracy and de-enfranchised the Sunni minority who later again fighting back against oppression by the Maliki government. So talking about consequences, we know ISIS rose uh, to power to fill the void left by the Allied forces. And what damage did the terrorists cause, uh, particularly after 2014? And what did it take to uh, largely defeat it? As discussed, the U.S. policy in Iraq between uh, 2010 and 2011 directly contributed to an evolution of ISIS by creating the conditions in which the radical Islamist groups could flourish. One day after the last U.S. troops withdrew from Iraq, Maliki forced his Sunni vice president to excel. The Sunnis in Iraq then sought alliance with ISIS in 2013. Next year, the Sunnis welcomed ISIS back to Anbar province and helped them seize nearly a third of Iraqi's territory, establishing the physical caliphate ISIS had always dreamed of building. You know, Al-Qaeda, groups like Al-Qaeda, later Islamic State, love ungoverned space. And we gave them a whole lot of ungoverned space to to operate from, whether in Iraq or subsequently in, in Afghanistan. UN Human Rights Agency said since ISIS surged into Iraq, they had escalated violent shows of force, torture, intentionally targeting civilians, killing soldiers in custody, um, desecrating a corpse. And Christians within their radar were also threatened and displaced. ISIS also threatened to destroy the Kaaba in the Grand Mosque in Mecca, which is consistent with their practice of destroying shrines, tombs, mosques, and other religious sites. So in 2015, ISIS expanded into a network of 
affiliates in at least eight other countries, increasingly carrying out attacks beyond borders. Years later, I still remember、uh, the Iraqi authorities、uh, once got angry and issued a call for all foreign troops to leave the country、uh, in 2020. Remind us what happened then, and how big of a event is that when it comes to the relationship between the Iraqi government and the West? The co- continued presence of U.S.-led foreign troops in Iraq has been controversial,、uh, markedly since the U.S. drone strike. Uh, killed senior Iranian military figure Qasem Soleimani, who just touched down in Baghdad in January 2020. Soon after the killing, Iraq's parliament passed a resolution calling on the government to expel foreign troops from the country as the Iran-U.S. tensions escalated. Even three years later,、um, Iranian officials and commanders renewed a vow to avenge. Uh, the assassination. Previously, Al Sudani, the prime minister, reaffirmed the country will need some more time to eliminate Islamic group with the help from those foreign forces. During an interview with the、uh, Wall Street Journal this January, a month later, which is、uh, February,、uh, he said on the state TV that the Iraq, you know, forces do not need foreign combat troops, and the current presence of the international coalition needs to be organized. And the relationship needs to be rearranged. He also questioned how long、uh, are they going to stay for. So what's being left for the Iraqi prime minister would be, you know, the delicate tightrope he has to walk up, walk between balancing his commitments to pro-Iranian factions in Iraq while also maintaining some good relations、uh, with Arab neighbors and also the West. In talking about the latest big development, I remember、uh, we covered a lot about the major political chaos in 2021 and 2022, when the country did not have a government for a whole year. So,、uh, what caused the turbulence, and how did it end eventually? Iraq set out its parliamentary、um, elections back in October 2021, and political leaders were still unable to form a government until a year later. Why? So. Hundreds of protesters, mostly supporters of the Shia leader、uh, Muqtada al-Suda, stormed the Iraqi parliament in protest against al-Sudani's running for prime minister, the pick by the、uh, pro-Iran bloc called Co- Coordination Framework. And、um, al-Suda's bloc won major seats and was committed to forming a national majority government that could present different sects and. Ethnicities such as Sunni Muslims and Kurds, but essentially、um, sidelining the coordination framework, which also included former Prime Minister Al Maliki. So, having considered himself as a、uh, critic of both Iranian and American influence in Iraq, Al Sadr found talks、um, stalled, and then he withdrew his parliamentary bloc after repeated failure to form a government. Then the contested election ended with、um, Al Sudani's leadership on the cabinet,、uh, approved by、uh, the Iraqi lawmakers. Well, some semblance of normalcy has returned. There is no doubt that huge challenges remain in rebuilding the shattered country. But local people say they are hopeful that better days are still on the horizon. This Baghdad woman says she has faith in the youth, since they are the one who leads the ideas and the future. We are from the 
this musician is playing the wood on the streets of Baghdad. He says sometimes they do feel as though it would have been better if they had just stayed in the old days. But they remain optimistic that better days are still to come. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Deep Dive. For more episodes, please follow our show. If you want to share what you think of the show and also other things that matter to the world, please leave comments on your podcast platform. This episode was brought to you by me, Suyi, and my colleagues Feifei and Zhang Zhang. Special thanks to correspondent Owen Holloway and CGTN reporter Zhou Jiaxin. I will see you next time.